The gospel lesson for this morning comes from Luke's, 20, uh, Luke's 14th chapter. We're going to start uh, at, at verse 16 instead of verse 12. Listen for the word of God. Jesus is telling a parable. Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. And at the time for the dinner, he sent a slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please, accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please, accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to the slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then the slave said, Sir, what you have ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled, because I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would Okay, let's take a deep breath ourselves and also enter a time of prayer. God, it is good to be here. It is good to listen and to speak, to give and to receive, and to remember. And I pray that the words that I offer in this sermon would be received by our listening hearts together, that we in our speaking and listening would remember your amazing grace, your steadfast love, and your command that reaches every corner of our lives to love you and to love neighbor with all that we have. This we humbly ask in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. So it's always annoying when somebody comes back from a great trip, like Hawaii, for example. (laughs) And they want to tell you all about it. And there's a part of you that's interested, of course, but there's also a part of you that knows you weren't there. I once uh, preached a sermon uh, about you had to be there moments, the kinds of moments where you can't really capture the fullness of the experience by someone's else, someone else's recounting of it. Uh, and certainly, this is true for the mission trip that our youth and our advisors experienced in Haiti. There's so much that I want to tell you about our trip, about how our youth represented our church, our faith, and even, yes, our now 239-year-old nation in such a way that would have made you so very proud. I want to tell you about how a so-called poor country like Haiti, its streets teeming with trash, 
could be so rich with beauty. Its people gorgeous in their grit. Its mountains not purple, but yes, majestic under beautiful and spacious skies. I want to tell you about how the line between those serving and those being served blurred with each passing day such that when we left, we were thrilled not so much about all that we were able to do for Haiti, but what we were able to share in Haiti and with Haitians and one another. And at the risk of turning this sermon into what we did on our mission trip, Story Sunday, I want to share a few specific experiences that cannot be described as vividly as they were lived. But they illuminate what Jesus was saying at a dinner party, as recounted by the Gospel of Luke. This dinner party is the setting in which Jesus told the parable that Casey's read and shared with our children. And he began speaking first to the guests. And he noticed that the guests of this meal all wanted to sit in the best seats, the the places of honor. And not using these exact words, Jesus said, no, no, no. Don't sit there in the seats of honor. Don't sit in the, <clears throat> the big chair. Awkward. <laughs> because you might get bumped down to a smaller chair if someone with higher rank shows up. How amazing would it be if Larry walked in right now? Jesus told the guests, no, take the smaller seat, take the seat of lesser honor, so that when the host comes, he might say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you may be honored. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, Jesus said, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. So then Jesus went from talking to and about the guests of the party, and then cast his eyes towards the host, to whom he said, and you, when you host a meal, don't invite those from whom you you can expect an invitation in return. No, no, no. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, those who cannot repay you, and then you will be blessed. These instructions to the guests and the host remind me of a you-had-to-be-there moment in Haiti. And there are several of us here who were on that trip who will will have to ask their forgiveness because they've heard this story already a couple of times. But it's memorable. One of our projects in Haiti was working with local Haitian construction workers to build walls for new classrooms at a neighborhood school. And part of the work involved moving some really large rocks from this big pile to a place where the workers could more easily use them and access them to build the base of the wall. 
Uh, and one of our advisors and I, um, we were doing our best with some of those larger rocks, but they were really heavy. And we, smart as we are, were really mindful of our backs. So we thought it would be a great idea to just clear out some space that was being occupied by smaller rocks so that we wouldn't have to carry the big rocks so far. It seemed like a great idea to us. But there was a man named Dominic. He was a small but, common, a small but commanding Haitian construction worker who was directing our efforts, and it was very clear to this advisor and I that he did not like our plan. Haitians speak a Haitian Creole, and we had our English, so beyond hello, my name is, and how are you, uh, we didn't know why this plan was not acceptable to Dominic, but it was clear in his gesturing that it was not. And so we called uh, one of the translators with us uh, to help us understand what was wrong, and the translator came and the two of them started speaking very animatedly, which is what they do down there, I think, talking about everything. But I wondered a little bit defensively, what is he saying? So I asked her, what is he saying? I wish I hadn't asked. (laughs) She gave me a response that is going to stick with me forever. He said... We need stronger men. (laughs) (laughs) Stronger men. uh, Ah, that felt great. Good for the ego. And I laughed, as I did just now, and as, as we did, but I'll have to admit, it stung. And it stung because it was true. Compared to Dominic, I was weak. But what a gift his comment in this moment was for me and for him and for all of us. Because being confronted with my weakness moved me off the big chair, the big seat of pride and strength, so that I could occupy the smaller one and be elevated to the role of guests, to Dominic and our work together. And by the same token, being forced to welcome and deal with my weakness, Dominic was moved and invited to be a better host, someone who received blessing not so much by how much I could give him, but what he could share with me. In spite of a wonderful experience, the truth of the matter is, if instead of 25 youth and adults from Westminster, there had been 25 Dominics working on that project, the work on those walls might have been done better. And if we as a church had taken all of the money and the time that it took to get us to Haiti and donated it directly to the school, those walls might have gone up faster. But better and faster built walls were not the primary objective of our experience. In fact, quite the opposite. The point was tearing those walls down, the walls between strong 
and weak, the walls between rich and poor, the walls between helpers and those being helped. Together in our work, we all experienced a taste of communion. And this is what Jesus seems to want for all the people at that dinner party, for them to let go of their prideful agendas and self-serving actions so that those who might ordinarily not be gathered together could be made one. I think that's why Jesus then told them the story that we heard this morning, where a person of obvious means readies a meal and invites many to come, but when the servants go out to bring in the guests, they all offer excuses. The man rich with new land says he needs to go and tend it, The man excited about his new cattle wants to test them out. The man who is newly married, well, let's just say he was busy too. So in anger, the host sends out another round of invitations, this time to those who could not repay that invitation with their own largesse. The poor, the lame, the crippled. And they say yes. And the house fills with guests And I'm going to differ a little bit with the interpretation that Casey offered this morning that we often think the host is is representing God. But in a way, I think the parable could also be read that the host is part of the transformation. That at the end of the story, he makes this comment about those who were invited will never come. That perhaps the host still can't quite get over the fact that he was spurned by the initial invitees. But yet there he was, able to host a fantastic banquet, his empty home now filled with grateful guests and the sounds of feasting. I wonder in this parable who received the greater gift. Was it the poor who had the meal of their lives? Or was it the host who was given so much by those who on first glance had nothing to give? It's hard to tell who really won in this scenario, because everyone gained. And that's kind of the point, that when guests and hosts gather in the manner in which Christ desires, in the spirit of humility and generosity, the distinction between guest and host becomes blurred. That blurring between guest and host was part of who Jesus was from the very beginning. Remember the Christ child who was a guest of the animals at the inn in the manger was also the host to the magi and the shepherds who came to pay him homage. If you've experienced communion here at Westminster enough, you might recall the liturgy that we sometimes use that begins by saying, of Christ, he was always the guest In the homes of Peter and Jairus, Martha and Mary, he was always the guest. At the meal tables of the wealthy, where he pled the case of the poor, he was always the guest. But here at this table, he is the host. Jesus Christ, who has sat at our tables, now invites us to be guests at his. In Christ, in his very being, the walls that exist between guest and host are torn down. And this was a truth that we saw and we sang 
in Haiti. On our very first afternoon with the hundred or so children who came to us for vacation Bible school, I'm not sure how this happened exactly, but we started out by singing national anthems. I think I was just curious to hear what theirs sounded like. So, hey, would you please sing your national anthem? And by golly, they sang it with gusto and dignity and pride. It was beautiful. And so it made sense then that we would return the favor and sing the Star Spangled Banner. And we did okay. But when we finished, something didn't feel quite right. And it wasn't just our singing. It was the fact that we had, began, we had begun this experience with the Haitians by delineating and bringing to the forefront the difference between us and them. We stood before each other as Haitians and as Americans, separated by all of the divergent histories and present realities of our two nations. So thank God, and I mean that in every sense of the phrase, we then proceeded to sing a third song, Jesus Loves Me. As we sang in English, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so, they sang in Creole, we, Jesse Renman, la Bible dit ça. By far, they were the better and stronger singers, but that didn't matter. By far, we were the ones who had the most resources to offer, but that didn't matter either. Because in that moment, we were singing the same song. Strength and value, weakness and need were drowned out in melody by a Savior's love for all of God's children, little ones to him who belong. It was striking to me that the same week that we were sharing spirituals with Haitians, President Obama sang Amazing Grace at the memorial service for one of the victims of racially fueled violence in Charleston. And I made a point of watching some of that after I came home. And as much as I was personally moved by it, a part of me was worried. Would this great hymn become another dividing line in our nation with so many divisions? Would it become an anthem for those on one side of the political spectrum and now a dissonant tune for those on the other? But later in the week, the song was played again at the Old Post Chapel in Fort Myer, where about ten of us at Westminster gathered to share in the committal service of Charlie Laux, a member of our church who died earlier in the year and who was buried at Arlington this week with full military honors. And in hearing that hymn there, after having heard it at that memorial service on YouTube, it struck me that amazing grace is not owned by anyone. It is not owned by those who are weakened by violence or those who are strong in arms. It is not a hymn of those on the left or a hymn of those on the right or anywhere in between. It is not a hymn for the living or for the dead. Because it is in Christ that we are all invited guests of that amazing grace for which we cannot repay. 
our Lord. And it is in Christ that we are welcome to be hosts as well in the midst of grace and to not expect to be repaid by those with whom we share it. So inasmuch as Jesus said, no, 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 will we say yes, yes, yes to the invitation to be guests and hosts in grace? It doesn't mean that we need to go on a mission trip to Haiti. The journey is much more internal than that. At the end of the week, I asked one of the Haitians whether they desired change, whether the people of Haiti were content to live in the conditions that defined them for so long, or was there a sense and movement for change? And she was very emphatic in her answer that, yes, there is a desire for change in Haiti, but for any change to occur, she said, something must change within us as Haitians. This change cannot come from outside, from somewhere else, but it must be experienced from within. As I close this sermon, I want to ask the same question of us. Do we desire change in this country, this land that we love? Perhaps the answer is the same for us as it is for that Haitian. That the change we desire must also come from within, in our willingness to be humble guests, so that we may be exalted. In our willingness to give our welcome without the expectation to receive payment in return. So that the walls that we erect will serve to create safe places for learning, not hatred. Communion and community, and not discord. Until that day when the divisions between those who serve and those being served are visible no more, and people of every nation may gather at the eternal feast for the one who is our great guest and our most gracious host, Jesus Christ, in whom we live and move and have our being, and who loves us. For la Biblia, di muensa. Amen.